This is your host, Vernon Terrell, with Grace Ministries International. And it's time for Walking Free. Hello and welcome back. This is Vernon Terrell and I am with Michelle. Hello. Hello. And we are continuing our discussion as we're going through the book of 1 Corinthians. And on our last session, we talked about 1 Corinthians 7, 1. And we went through, we got all the way through verse 5. Um, that was uh, that was a lot of discussion on those couple of verses, but it was impactful. And we really had this idea of not weaponizing intimacy. You don't want to weaponize that and use it against one another. And uh, Paul ended this section, really verse 6 and 7, uh, as a transition into his next thought. And he said, but this I say by way of concession, not of command. He, was, he had just said, hey, stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. And Michelle and I were going to try that. We haven't done that yet, have we? Well, not yet, but we also haven't been married quite four months yet. So I think we need to Yeah, we're good. postpone just a little bit. Just a little bit. But Paul said, hey, by way of concession, uh, it's not a command. That's a good idea. Uh, he then said in verse 7, Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. What is he talking about? And we'll discover some of that in this next thought. He said, however, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. And then he says in verse 8, but I say to the unmarried and to the widows. And I think that's a clue of where he's talking about in verse 7. I wish that all men were even as I myself am. You know, Paul was uh, a Pharisee of Pharisees, and some believe that, you know, he's he's single at this point, it looks like. Some say, well, maybe he's always single, but as a Pharisee, it was a requirement to be married. So perhaps he was married and now um, a widower at this point. So he brings it together and says, but I say to the unmarried uh, and to the widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I. What do you think about that? It's just good for them to remain unmarried. What's he talking about? Well, he's going to give us some clues uh, even later in this passage about why it's important. And and I think it's important to realize this is, uh, he's not laying down the law here. He's sharing his heart. He actually, you know, deeply cares for the believers uh, in Corinth and the situation that they're in. And we're going to find out later in this chapter that they're in um, a real tumultuous era. Um there's thought that there's a, a famine going on. And so I think putting into trying to put into context as much as we can gather um, that singleness is honored. And that seems very um, counter to our culture that seems to elevate uh, marriage both in our in our general culture and within our church culture. And I think these are important passages to press into and say, it is okay to be single. Mm. Singleness is not a uh, is not a problem. There are people who are single for all the right reasons. Now, there's also people who are single uh, because of wounds in their hearts and uh, shame and fear. But there's also lots of people who are married 
for the right reasons. And there's people who are married for all the wrong reasons. Mm. They're just desperate to suck life and suck love out of their partner. So being married or being single is uh, in and of itself uh, a great thing. And we just want to check in on on our hearts and make sure that uh, we're doing it in a healthy way. And so he says to the unmarried uh, and to the widows, it's good if you remain, even as Paul uh, was at the time, and especially during times of persecution uh, and uh, that they were going through uh, and the unrest uh, in the culture where they were, it was better uh, to be single. So single or married, uh, Paul says uh, in verse 9, but if they do not have self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn, and the NES adds, "Better to marry than to burn with passion." What are we? What are we saying? Is it like, oh, you weaklings! If you're so <laughs> weak and you can't handle it, go ahead and give in. I think he's saying there are some great catches out there, <laughs> <laughs> and when you meet the one that's a, a great catch. Uh, you have my blessing. Go, go for it and enjoy. He's sort of hinting back at what he just previously previously said about um, engaging with each other uh, sexually inside of the context of marriage. That this is the place that you get to uh, experience your sexuality is inside a marriage. So when you meet the girl, when you meet the guy, and they're a believer, and you have that shared um, that shared walk, then bless you. Go get hitched and and enjoy that union. And if you're hearing the message that I have heard before uh, from pastors saying that, uh, hey, you're married because you're weak, and the highest calling of all callings, to flip around from our culture of you know marriage being the best and single being second best, they'll flip this around and say, no, singleness is the best. You're God's favorite because you have self-control over this awful human body. Mm. So you're giving in to marriage. And that's just not the case. I love the way he said that. That he says, no, this is Paul's blessing. Get married. If God, if God's connected you with the right person, uh, you've connected on a spiritual level, emotional level, you're feeling the passion. That that's humanness. That's okay. Get married. You know, that's the design. God's design for intimate relationship is marriage. He says in verse 10, But to the married I give instructions. Not I, but the Lord. Let's stop on that for a moment. What do you think he's, where, where is he going with this? Well, he's he's been letting us know some of what he's sharing with us is his own perspective. He's giving wise counsel. But he's delineating here that this is uh, God's directive, not just Paul uh, sharing his opinion. And I think here also he's saying, look, Jesus was on this planet and he spoke about some very specific things. Jesus didn't speak about everything, you know, that that every issue that we would ever face, uh, and even in the context of, of marriage, he says, look, here's some things the Lord said. Let me tell you exactly um, what the Lord said. He goes, to the married I give instructions, not I, but the Lord. So here's what Jesus said. He says that the wife 
should not leave her husband, but if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and that the husband should not divorce his wife. And then, and we're going to come back to all these, but to the rest, I say, and there's other issues here, uh, and Paul is addressing, now that he goes, now the Lord didn't say this one, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, if a brother has a wife who's an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him, he goes, yeah, now the Lord didn't address this, but here's an issue, let me give you what um, the Holy Spirit is saying here, don't divorce her. And if a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife. The unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. Yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. And we'll stop there for a moment and go back to verse 10. Uh, and But I think that's part of this bigger context. He said, the Lord addressed this issue here. Here's what he said. There's other issues you brought up. You wrote to me and you had some questions. I'm giving you counsel from the Lord on some of these other questions. So verse 10, where he, where he begins, um, do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, so there's, you know, we have Jesus' words recorded in the Gospels and um, multiple places where we see. So I think when we're looking at this uh, concept of divorce and remarriage inside the church, we really need to be looking at all of the scriptures. Um, a lot of times people cherry pick, they, mm -hmm. they camp out on one scripture and they don't take the full counsel of scripture. So um, Paul is not giving uh, every detail that Jesus gave. Um, but we see that he is, it's interesting that he, he starts by saying the wife shouldn't leave her husband. Um, and so in the Jewish context, a wife wouldn't be leaving her husband. Um, it would be the husband who would be allowed to mm -hmm. leave the wife. But in the Greco-Roman culture, the wife did have the legal right to leave her husband. So um, this is why he's addressing both, both women and men, because that was culturally relevant. Women had the, the right under Roman law to leave their husbands if they so choose. And if they had any uh, inheritance under the Roman law, um, under Roman law, not Jewish law, under Roman law, they could take that inheritance with them that they had. So there, there is some unique context here. I think he's also, Paul is saying, uh, when, uh, he, when Jesus was addressing this first question on divorce, he said, yeah, Moses gave you this articles of divorce for all kinds of reasons, because of the hardness of your hearts. He said, in the beginning, it wasn't that way. And I think Paul is, uh, is beginning with, this is how Jesus said it should be. Here it is. Look, don't leave your husband, uh, wives and, and husbands. Don't leave your wives. You're, the, the design is that you should be staying together. That's the goal. And I think that's where he was uh, bringing up what the Lord said. But there must have been some other questions here in this letter um, that uh, Paul got and that he is addressing in this other letter, sending back. Um, now, what a way to go that you're answering letters by snail mail. And actually, it was donkey mail, I guess. I think so. Um, uh, or just walking the letter back. Uh, very uh, a long time. But Paul says in verse 12, to the rest I say, not the Lord. And again, he's saying the Lord didn't address this one, but you asked the question, and I'm, the Lord has given me this insight. If any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, which I guess could be common 
um, uh, in that day, you know, where you're getting folks are being saved. One person in the family is getting uh, is accepting Jesus, and now there's another one. You've got this unique situation. If a brother has a wife who's an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. So it's not grounds for divorce, according to Paul. Mm-hmm. That uh, now, and he's saying this because um, the scripture is clear that we're not to be unequally yoked. And all of a sudden, you find yourself unequally yoked because you entered into this marriage equally yoked, and then one person is born again, um, mm. and the other is is not. So, I mean, this is he's. There's so many questions coming up. As uh, remember, we're under we're under grace. We're under God's grace. But under God's grace still means there's a God-given design, and marriage is that design. And as Michelle was saying, when we go, when as a believer, when we want to go into this relationship, we should be yoked or come together with someone who is a believer. And that's the design, coming together, equally yoked. But in this, as people are getting saved, they're finding themselves in this unequal yokeness. And in verse 13, a woman who has an unbelieving husband, and by the way, they Uh, From what some historians have said, there's more women that were coming to the faith in the beginning, Uh, even women of high class, which you, uh, higher status, which you see, and they find themselves with an unbelieving husband, and he consents to live with her. She must not send her husband away or leave her husband, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. All right, this is a little wow. this is a little confusing. A lot of folks wow. get to this one and they're going, "Wait, are you saying that if I was married to an unbeliever and I got saved that my spouse is saved because I'm saved?" Is Man. that what that's saying? And if my wife uh, is not a believer and I am, is now my wife automatically a Christian? Right. So we got to dig into this word sanctified. So sanctified has a a few different meanings, right? Sanctified can mean set apart. Sanctified can mean um, that it it has a a place of special honor or recognition. Mm -hmm. Sanctified can mean um, that it's purified. Uh, so we have to have some discernment. And again, we're not going to just cherry pick, just camp out on one single, uh, verse here. We're going to look at what all of scripture says. So does scripture make it clear that every individual has to make a personal decision to accept Jesus? And I think this idea that you remember when Paul said that, um, that God's grace is greater than any sin. And I think the beautiful point here is you think, oh, my marriage is defiled now. I have an unbeliever. No, God's grace is greater that his light uh, in in you covers that entire marriage uh, in purity uh, and holiness. That your your light is greater than the darkness, if you will, uh, of the unbelieving spouse. And so that's why... Um, that your your marriage is sanctified and your kids are covered, if you will, in that light. It doesn't mean that it takes away their personal responsibility to receive Jesus. It simply means that God's grace is always greater, period. 
and there could be shame. And, you know, when you have an unbelieving spouse, you've got this sense like, man, I, I'm, I'm, I've got this marriage that's just not holy. It's not, uh, it's not right in God's eyes. It's in, in the world's eyes. And there's this sense of shame in that. How do you deal with someone who's got an unbelieving spouse who has got this sense of shame? Well, I think it, it needs a, a change of perspective. I think what verse 14 here is saying is, listen, believing wife, listen, believing husband, you have a unique opportunity um, to to share and display the gospel to that unbelieving spouse. They get a front row seat mm. to what God has done in you. He's transformed you from the inside out. And now this unbeliever is, and, and I think that's what the sanctification is, is the, the unbeliever is in a unique position to see firsthand what the transformation uh, of the gospel does in, in a spouse's life. So I don't think it's a, uh, again, it's not a, uh, a bad mark against you. It's a unique opportunity to shine uh, before them and let your life glorify God and so that them as the unbeliever is going to say, wow, whatever whatever that thing is that God has done in you, I want a piece of it. And they may soften their heart to that. Sadly, they may harden their heart to it as well. And, and Paul gives us that next if they do harden verse yeah. 15. But as you're saying, this, the husband is sanctified through his wife and I think the Lord works through marriage uh, primarily uh, to build up one another. And and marriage, God uh, reveals our flesh in the context of marriage. I think most of us can identify with that. Our fleshly tendencies and patterns are just exploded in that intimate relationship. Uh, likewise, God's grace can explode to your partner resulting in their sanctification, their receiving Christ. And if you are in that place today listening to this podcast, boy, our hearts go out to you. We, uh, When we wrap up in prayer to, today uh, at the end of our podcast, I just want to really pray for those that find themselves in this situation to persevere. Um, you are not responsible for the outcome. You are not the one who will save your spouse. It, Jesus is the one who saves. He is the savior and you have a unique role. He will empower you. Um, but some folks, they are decades into walking this out of being married to someone who is not a believer. So we just want to encourage your hearts and say, you know, Paul is saying, you know, hey, this is a unique calling that you have. We're praying that you see the fruit of that in your lifetime. Um, you may not. We we understand that. But keep your eyes on Jesus. Um, he's the author and perfecter of your faith. He will empower you to, to walk that out with his strength. And there, in that situation, Paul addresses verse 15, yet... Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Before we go to verse mm -hmm. 15, everyone's looking, if they're oh. following along, they're going, wait a second, you jumped over something that's oh. kind of confusing here. Otherwise. Uh, otherwise, your, your children, children are, are unclean, unclean but, but now, now they, are they are holy. Okay, what... <laughs> <laughs> what is what is Paul saying here? I think as a Pharisee, he is referring back to the Mosaic Covenant where God was really clear. Jewish 
and Gentile uh, men and women are not to intermarry. You're not, mm. as the Jewish community, they were not to intermarry uh, with the Gentile community. And and why why did God do that? Was he just a, a separatist? Like, why did he care that the Jewish community stayed uh, intermarrying within themselves was because the, of the promise of the Jewish Messiah. It was um, maintaining that lineage um, so that the Messiah could come. And yet you see these moments of grace where Gentile women are brought in even to the Messianic lineage where mm. you've got Rahab, where you've got, um, who else am I thinking of? Uh, um, Ruth. Ruth. Yeah, Ruth. Uh, and so uh, there is a, a callback to that concept that Gentiles and Jews were not supposed to intermarry. And now here we are, you've got Jews, you've got Gentiles, and you've got this, uh, this young church. And so he's saying um, that as a, as a believer, you, um, there's, there's a uniqueness that you're bringing. So what a lot of people ask this question, so what happens if a child dies? Um, do mm. they go to heaven? What happens to them? And I think that's the big question that uh, most people have with this verse is what happens um, when babies or children die? Well, I think here, uh, I don't think it's addressing that specifically, but on that question, uh, do you think, as David said uh, so many years ago, that uh, after his sin with Bathsheba and the child dies, he says, look, I... Um, uh, he can't come back to me. The mm -hmm. child is gone, but I will go to him. And I do think, although that's just one little verse. Right, Second Samuel 12. 2 Samuel 12. It's like one little idea and one little verse, but I think that the concept is, yes, um, babies, those who don't have the ability to decide uh, about the Messiah, who don't have that ability to choose, um, God's grace and uh, and forgiveness covers them. Yeah, I think there's another uh, New Testament reference too with Paul in Romans uh, seven nine. He says, "Once um, mm. before the law came, before I was under the law, um, I I was alive." What in the world is Paul talking about? Because he was a Pharisee, he's Jewish, and so when was he ever not under the law? And I think what he's referring to is before his bar mitzvah, mm. um, and bar, bar mitzvah happens when you're 13 years old, and it literally means becoming a son of the commandment. So you know, Paul is saying before the commandment came, I was alive, but then when the law came, when the commandment came, it brought death mm. uh, because the law is perfect. And so there seems to be an indication there that um, Paul had a, a spiritual life, that there, there is this age of accountability. It's God doesn't really give us a ton of detail. He just whispers and hints at us. And for those of us parents who have lost children, lost babies, um, he, he gives us enough that we can we can trust him with it. We can trust him with those children and entrust those children to God and be at peace and rest. We don't have to keep worrying about it. We don't have to stress over it. We can trust God with those precious ones. Because it's God's desire that all men and women and boys and girls be saved. It's his desire for that. And I believe 
that you know we think oh <clears throat> some some folks say oh well you know God sends people to hell no he doesn't God's done everything to keep you out by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay the penalty for all sin and our responsibility is to receive him and to receive it really says that God sends Satan to hell and all of his demonic cohorts Mm -hmm. Satan wants to take as many with him as he can absolutely and God's saying no I want as many as will choose me I want you guys to come to me and I and I do think on this when uh, in this context too of verse 14 when if the if you leave that unbelieving spouse it says otherwise your children are unclean they're not covered uh, and they're not covered in this uh, in this relationship and I think uh, but now they're holy so in other words if that unbelieving spouse consents to stay with you stay in there for you by God's design for the kids. It is best for the kids to be raised in a family where where their parents are married to each other and and give them that stability. But verse 15, if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. I like that Paul's a realist here. Mm-hmm. He's like these are real human beings and and sometimes um that's exactly what happens. And they do let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage. In such cases, what is this bondage? You think? I think it's this idea when Paul talks about marriage or talks about the law. Excuse me. He talks about this idea of being under the law, and it could be possible that he says, "Look, you know, we talk about you know the law, and we talk about marriage is an unbreakable uh, bond, and there's been only Jesus only gave us one exception." Adultery. Adultery. That and, was the that yeah. was the one. Matthew talks about it. Yeah, uh, Matthew nineteen, uh, I think. Um, and here's Paul giving us a second um, for the case of abandonment. Yeah, abandonment is you're not under bondage. What uh, 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 to to that marriage that uh, that spouse who has left and gone? He says that God has called us to peace. For how do you know? O wife, whether you will save your husband. You don't know if he consents to stay, stay. Or uh, or wife, whether you will save your husband. How do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Doesn't mean it's your responsibility to save them, but by staying in. And we're not saying staying in an abusive Absolutely not. situation. If, you, if you're in an abusive situation, uh, you need to get yourself to safety. Absolutely right. This is, again, a question that was uh, asked uh, of Paul. Paul is answering this question. This isn't going to every unique situation. The idea here, uh, I don't believe, I don't see it. There was not this idea of abuse in this question. It was the idea of abandonment in the question. The idea of a person getting saved and the other person has yet to receive. What do you do? And I think that was the context of the question. And so Paul continues in verse 17, only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner, let him walk. And so I direct uh, in all the churches. Was any man called when he was already circumcised? He is not to become 
uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? He is not to be uncircumcised. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. Each man must remain in that condition in which he was called. All right. Um, as a woman, some of us ladies are having, uh, are scratching our heads, maybe some of the guys too going, okay, I get what circumcision is, is cutting away the flesh. Um, how in the world do you become uncircumcised? Like once that's, once that happens, can, can you become uncircumcised? So just to put in context, Josephus, the historian, um, doc was documenting that because of the Greek influence, because of Hellenization, um, there was surgeries that uh, circumcised Jewish men were doing to try to, can I say, correct mm. their situation of circumcision. <laughs> <laughs> so there was actually Ouch. a procedure that uh, that they were trying to do to to do away with circumcision because that would put them in a place of um, oppression or um, help me out here. Yeah, I, I think that that is. Um, crazy. It was there. Uh, they were trying to get a difference in their own mind, a certain status, although I'm not sure how well, you know, I don't know if there was a circumcision check going on. Know. You know, I mean, it's that, kind of concerning. why would someone want to do that? But it, it was, uh, that was actually going on. I do think here in the context, I think Paul is making a transition and we're going to stop here in a minute uh, and we'll catch up on the next one, the next session uh, or podcast. But I think he's also relating to this idea of marriage um, and bringing, kind of bringing it together. Are you, uh, are you married? Don't try to get unmarried, especially when you have this unbelieving spouse and, uh, that's, that's, that you're dealing with in this question. He's transitioning, kind of tying all this together. Uh, as God has called each in this manner, let him walk. He says, was a man called when he was circumcised? I think it's just as, were you called and did you accept Christ in your marriage? Well, don't be unmarried. Uh, and But he's bringing it back to this idea of circumcision as well. Were you called as a Jew? Well, don't throw away your Judaism in terms of your heritage. That's awesome. Um, uh, were, you, um, were you not a Jew? Well, don't be. Don't get circumcised. That's not the point. Right. None of that is the point. And this was dealt with in the Council of Jerusalem back in Acts. Um, they met to really talk about this very issue and say, "Hey, when when Gentiles come to faith in Yeshua, the Messiah, uh, which is his Hebrew name, do we need to circumcise these these Gentiles?" And I mean, that was such a legitimate question because we have to understand everybody who founded the church was Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, the disciples were Jewish. So uh, there was a really good question, like, now do we need to, do they need to be circumcised? And Paul is just reinforcing what the council in Jerusalem already said back in Acts, no, do not circumcise someone who comes to faith who is Greek. Um, and if you're Jewish and, and come to faith in, in Jesus, maintain your circumcision. So again, there's right. don't three. get the surgery. Do people. not do the surgery. It's okay. Yes. Don't don't. don't. Uh, I'm going to stop here because there's so much we want to hit on this next uh, passage, and we'll uh, start again at uh, verse uh, 17 and and go on down on our next podcast. But Michelle, thanks for all your great insights My as pleasure. always, 
And um, we're glad that uh, you're listening. Stay with us next time. uh, And uh, we'll catch up with Paul as he continues to answer uh, the questions posed by the Corinthians. Have a great week. You've been listening to Walking Free, a production of Grace Ministries International in Marietta, Georgia. For more information, go to our website at gmint.org. That's G-M-I-N-T dot O-R-G.